you want to stand to your feet as we welcome an awesome woman of God, one that I just think is fantastic, Major Beth. Thanks, Andrew. And yes, I'm getting old. I, I need this level of um, thing to put my notes on. How's everyone? Oh, really? That bad, hey? That was a very half-hearted... Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, no worries. How's everyone today? <laughs> good to see everyone. Have you said hello to the person next to you? Yeah, that's good. Recently, uh, I heard the word fear. You know that word, don't you? I heard the word fear referred to in the same vein as we use the word terrorist. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And the quote was from a, a blog writer, Anne Voskamp, that I follow. And her quote was this, Never give permission to fear to be like some terrorist that takes you hostage. And I thought, wow, that's a bit of a stretch. So then I, I was considering the meaning of the word terrorist and I looked it up and it said, the use of violence and threats to intimidate or coerce, especially for political purpose, the state of fear or submission. And then the meaning of fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain or harm. And so I started to see the similarities and understood a little bit more why this writer said, never give permission to fear to be like some terrorist who takes you hostage. We won't read the word terrorist in the Bible, nowhere. But we will often read the word fear. And I want us to look at fear up close and personal today and see what it what we can glean from God's word and from some thinking. Now, of course, you and I know that there's actually a healthy sort of fear. We actually need to have a sense of uh, a fear that comes naturally when uh, we're in the presence of danger or uh, when you drive with me or, you know, things like that. Um, and if you want any driving stories, my children and my husband have several that I'm sorry if they're ever put into the annals of history, there's a few laughs there. Panel beaters knew my name in one season of my life, <laughs> personally. But uh, we do need that natural sense of fear that comes in the presence of danger or when we anticipate danger and as a means of getting us as far away as possible from that danger. But you and I also know that while there's a healthy sort of fear, there is also a fear that can be crippling. Absolutely crippling. And it can present itself in many ways in our life. Uh, many, if not all, all of us in this room will today, uh, or in this room today, will have at one time or other, maybe even this week, maybe this morning, have experienced an overwhelming presence of fear about something. Now I need a couple of volunteers and this is where everyone just looks to the ground says if I don't make eye contact there'll be no problem and then you think uh oh she knows my name. <laughs> so have I got a couple of volunteers? <laughs> Bailey's being voluntold. 
Bailey, you're you up for it? Okay, Bailey, come on down. Oh, Brendan, now you'll need to be childless. So I'm sorry about that. Oh, oh Becky's coming to the rescue. And oh, no, I've got two, I think. I've got Bailey and Brendan already, so I need two. Now, I'm sorry, I, you know, I should have probably got something that looked a bit more man mannish than a gold bow. But I just want us to under, have a little think uh, in an interactive sort of way about fear. Now, um, how about um, you take this? Looking beautiful, by the way. So what I want you to do is I want you to bind Bailey's hands. Just, we'll do it loosely for the purposes of this exercise. <laughs> now when we think about fear, isn't it sometimes that our fear is that we will do the wrong thing? We'll feel like our hands are tied. I have, we can have a fear that we will do the wrong thing. Isn't it also true that we can have a fear that we will do the right thing <laughs> and what that may result in? There's also a fear that we can just keep on doing what we've always done and that things are never going to change. It's always going to be this way. I can't do anything different. Now, if you untie that, I hope you didn't do it too tightly. And then I want you to tie round his ankles. Because sometimes, and do you, do you identify with any of those ones about the fear of doing the wrong thing and the right one? Isn't there also a sense that we sometimes have a fear that we will we'll have to move from a season we're in where we're comfortable, even if it's causing us grief? We'll have a fear of moving from one season to another in our life. And it will bind us up. Uh, there's also a fear of moving into a space where we're feeling stirred to do something, but it's like our feet have cement in them. We're bound up so much. So there's a fear of moving into something wonderful that God's planned for us. Fear. Now I want you to undo it again. And we may have to do away with this gold bow. I'm sorry when we're finished. Tragic, I know. Um, and I want you to put it as if it was a, a around his mouth, you know. So I'm not saying you've got any germs there, Bailey, but it just might be great on the community cafe ta um, table tomorrow. Cover up your mouth, yeah. Isn't it also true about fear? Are you identifying with any of? Are you identifying with any of these yet? Yeah, anyone? Yeah. Well, I've got a problem now. Okay. Technical difficulty. Around the mouth here, isn't there also a sense that uh, we will have a fear of saying the wrong thing? I've got a fear that if I open my mouth, I'm going to say the wrong thing. Anybody ever had a fear around that area? Yeah. Is there also a sense in which we can have a fear that we might say the right thing? And it might be right, but it may not be received well. Is there also a fear that we have at times that we need to speak up and have that difficult conversation with someone we love? So sometimes a fear of speaking out. Now we probably can't do this one, but 
Uh, so you can take it off your mouth now. But I, I want you to put your largish hand there, Brendan, <laughs> over his heart. Nurses, is it about here? That'll do. Yeah. Oh, that's good when the nurse says that'll do. <laughs> yeah, look, I think this is the right spot where I'm going to operate. Oh, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. We can work through that. Yeah, near enough's good enough. Yeah, we always love when a nurse says that. I'm sorry to Jessie, Gemma, Paula, Andrew. Who else is a nurse in the house? Todd, Gail. Yeah, look, I'm sorry. Near enough. It'll be okay. So I, want, I was going to get a big, a big red X, but I ran out of time. But, you know, Brendan's got his large hand over his heart there. Is there also sometimes, maybe you could put your hand over your own heart, is there also a fear that there's a fear of feeling stuff that we don't want to feel? Is there also a sense that sometimes we have a fear of loving? Is there a fear of succeeding? And is there so often a fear of failure that we feel in our heart? Is there a, feel of, a feeling of, a fear of having to say sorry? Is there a fear of feeling joy? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Does any of this ring true for you? Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well done. So the question is for us, if we are people who want to follow Jesus and be his disciples, that we sit with all that, that we, it rings true for us. And we say, so how do I handle this? How do I live then? I read this little phrase, because I believe that a disciple of Jesus Christ needs to live no longer a victim to fear, but to have victory in the fear. Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ does not mean that we'll never be afraid again, that we'll never feel a fear of succeeding or speaking or, or understanding or saying the wrong thing or going to the wrong place. Because we will. We're human. But we don't have to live any longer a victim to fear, but we can have victory in the fear. Amen? No longer a victim to fear but victory in the fear. And I've got five little things that I want to suggest to you today are things that you and I could do on a daily basis to help us. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, first of all, I want you, and you might have a piece of paper that you can write on or whatever, but I want to share a couple of verses from 1 John. And it talks about the love of God. And it said, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us. It's sorry, I didn't tell you what it was, did I? 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 16 and 17 so far. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. And listen for this, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. But we love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. But I love that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. That's why I believe God says to us, no longer a victim to fear, but have victory in the fear. Do I hear an amen? Amen. But these five little things that we can do, I believe that we are called to cry out to Jesus when we are in fear. Cry out to him. This is number one. Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. Hallelujah. The name of the Lord. Not the name of my brother or my sister or people I'm in relationship, but the name of the Lord is the strong tower whom I run to. Psalm 34.15 said, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Cry out to Jesus. Number one. I don't know whether I've told this story here before, but many years ago, um, a friend of mine woke up one morning and discovered things in her, in her home that she understood to represent that her husband was having an affair with another woman. And they'd been married, they had three early teenage kids at that time. And she had walked away from the Lord many years before. But on this morning, she found this out and she cried out to the Lord. And what does Psalm say? His ears are attentive to our cry. And she was in Sydney and I had no idea that had happened. That same morning, I got up where I lived in Newcastle and I got in my car to drive to a meeting in Sydney. And I was about half an hour away from home. And I felt a stirring in my spirit to ring this woman who I had not spoken to for about 10 years. And I thought, gee, why am I thinking about um, this person? I won't say her name. Why am I thinking about her? And I just thought, oh, well, I'll have to ring her or write to her one day or Facebook her and kept driving. And I kept feeling this stirring. No, Lord, oh, no, Beth, you've got you've to make contact today. This is what the stirring... And I thought, well, I'm busy today, Lord. I've got other things to do. I'm going to this meeting. And I, this stirring kept going, going. So then I, you come up with all your excuses to the Lord when you cry out to him, when people cry out to him. I said, oh, well, I don't know her phone number. Anyway, it kept stirring and stirring. And anyway, long, I had to ring about three people that I knew to eventually I found out her, her number, phone number. And I, I rang her and... Um, I, she didn't answer the phone. I left a message and I said, G'day, look, I know it's ages since I've seen you, but I've just had a thought that maybe I'm coming to Sydney, I could drop in on my way home. And uh, she rang me back. She said, I would love you to come, please come. So I went to my meeting and on my way out, uh, way back out of town, I went to her place. She lives in the most beautiful home, in one of the most beautiful suburbs of Sydney. She has all the money in the world. Her children go to private school. She's very, she has a great job. She's a Qantas stewardess for many, many years. And I walked in her door and was sort of complimenting her and her lovely home. And we sat down and she burst into tears. 
She said, Beth, why did you contact me this morning? And I said, oh, well, to be honest with you, Jenny, it was something that I just felt God say to me to do. And she said, wow. This morning I got up and she told me the story and she said, for the first time in a long time, I cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, you'll have to send someone today to encourage me because this is terrible. This is awful. So I, I understand that when I cry out to Jesus, that Jesus is doing something on my behalf. When I cry out to Jesus, he's working in the background to answer that cry. But we don't always see it. My friend didn't see how that was. She just cried out. So cry out to Jesus. The second one is to cling to the word of God. At times I know, and I think you would know, that at times our thought patterns can get absolutely irrational. It shows no logic sometimes. Have we, anyone ever been in a place like this? We think, well, how, what am I thinking about that for? That doesn't, there's no clarity there. There's no logic to that thinking. And I believe that this number two of these five things, first one, cry out to Jesus, cling to the word of God, because it is at these times of fear, particularly this irrational fear, that the word of God is a light into that dark place. It speaks peace. It shows truth. Psalm 119 verse 30, the unfolding of your words gives light. And further on in, of, uh, in that psalm, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It concerns me that sometimes followers of Jesus, including myself at times, are more into using the word of God to bang over the heads of others or to use in conversation to rebuke others than it's used to speak life-changing truths into our own heart. This is we must cling to the word of God firstly for ourselves. I've proved again and again in my life, and you may have in yours, that when I fail to seek God and his word first and instead try and figure it out myself, I get discouraged and disappointed in myself and in people, places and things around me. And over the years, I've talked to countless followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. And this truth is really one for followers. And they express problems they're facing and issues that they're coming up against. And the question might be asked to them, what do you think God is saying to you in the midst of this? Have you been reading the Bible to help you through this time? And you know what happens? We often come up blank. Oh, hadn't, uh, yeah, I probably, oh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, I probably should, I should do that. Yeah, that's good. Good idea. Great. Thanks for that. Life-changing. We've got to cry out to God. We've got to cling to the word of God. These are all C's, by the way. We've got to cast our care, cast our all on God. I want to encourage you, when you have a few minutes quietness, to do this exercise. And I'm sorry, Paul, but no going to the gym is necessary for this exercise. I know I could do with a fitness plan, but I want to, this is a different sort of exercise. And this is an exercise that you and I can do. I want you to sit down somewhere, find a quiet few minutes today. This is a challenge for you. And write down all the things that make your heart beat faster. Now, I'm not talking about spiders, cockroaches or snakes or crocodiles. We live in North Queensland, I know, but we're not going there. 
But I want you to write down a list of all the things that make your heart beat faster. Can you think of anything? A list of all the things that cause your stomach to get in a bind and feel as though it's stirring up. Write them down. Might be, you know, someone speaks something to you that isn't, you feel isn't kind or you've got to public, you know, speak about something that's difficult or you've got to get up in front of someone and speak. Make a list of all the things that you think, you fear, are going to happen. Make a list of all the things that overwhelm you at the moment. Are you thinking of them already? Okay, hold those thoughts. I want you to do that. That's a challenge for you. Write those things down. And then with that list there in front of you, sitting there with it all written down in black and white, I want you to read it again. And then I encourage you, and I'm going to do it too, to come before God and to read those things out loud and to say, God, these are the things that I absolutely fear. I believe you've got this. And I give them to you. But I've got to do this, God, because they're actually, they're starting to define who I am. And they're starting to define how I'm doing life. And they, these things are actually starting to rule my waking hours. And these things, Lord, that I've written down here are actually things that I see are having effect on the people around me. So we're casting all these things, we've written them down. And then we come to the fourth thing that says, I confess my inability to deal with these things. I am powerless. But I confess here today that I understand that in my inability, I can know your ability. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And we read in 1 John 4, Perfect love, the love that God gives to us, that instills in us, it casts out fear. I was thinking that, you know, one thing... Is, is mutually exclusive to the other. Love gives fear if we would like a notice to quit. I give you a notice to quit fear over these, over these things that are overwhelming me and defining me. Because irrational fear, it does not come from God. One, I love 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has not given. For the Lord our God has not given. Say that together. For the Lord our God has not given us a spirit of fear. But what has he given us? It says of power and love and a sound mind. Now somebody prayed that. in. We had a great prayer meeting, by the way, this morning. Nearly 20 there and it was a great spirit of surrender and prayer. It was just wonderful. But someone spoke about this, asking God for a sound mind. And I thought, I wonder, do they know that the scripture verse we're going to read today is that for the God has not given us, 
He has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Some translations say of self-discipline. This is what God has given us. And we can say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I follow Jesus. I need no longer be held hostage to fear. I'm a disciple of the living God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. And the fifth one is, and I'll invite the band to come up, because we're in these closing moments of, res of decision and resolve. But the fifth one is to call a trusted friend to pray for you or to give you counsel. And can I give you a disclaimer on this one, and I hope I don't offend anyone, but I believe that Facebook is not a trusted friend. <laughs> Facebook is not a trusted friend. It's social media. You can, I know, you can translate your every thought, idea, meal, anything. Which I, but I love Brendan. Mind you, I do love Brendan's meals when he puts his pictures up of his meals. They're fantastic. But in this case, Facebook is not a trusted friend. Please don't go there, would be my encouragement. It's my, just my thing. And when we consider this fifth thing to call a trusted friend, it doesn't have to tell the world. But find two, one or two that you trust that are not going to judge you but will listen and show empathy. But, you know, I've proved that don't ring someone who's just going to feel sorry for you. Don't ring someone. Who, and I've proved this in my own life. Don't ring someone who gives you permission to, fall, to, to wallow in your fears. Don't ring someone who, in order to make them feel better, will be happy for you to stay right where you are in your fears. Don't ring them. Find a trusted friend, one or two, to pray for you or to give you counsel. Now, if you're in recovery, this is the function of a sponsor. But, you know, this sort of role in our life is for all of us. Companions on the road of life, friends for the journey, have you got someone like that? Have you got someone? Have you got someone who is equipped to do that for you? Are you like that for someone in your sphere of influence? These five practical principles to apply. And as I've been looking at them over the last couple of days, I thought, you know, Beth, I felt the Lord say, Beth, if you, and you could encourage your friends when you speak, to do one to four consistently. And five if things persist. It's almost like a prescription. I don't know whether many of you know, but I've been an asthmatic since I was about 14, and I am a shocking um, asthmatic. Thank the Lord, since I've lived in North Queensland, I very rarely get it. But over the years when I would become, I'd come to the doctor and I'd, you know, be coughing and spluttering. It, was, it would just be awful, hardly able to breathe. And my doctor would say to me, have you been taking your preventative? And I would try to then lose eye contact and look anywhere else in the room except at my doctor. Oh, yeah, well, look, yeah, well, look, um, 
Well, I have, but, you know, and I'd come up with all the excuses in the world. And I don't know how many doctors have said, Beth, if you were to do your preventative stuff, you wouldn't get to this, where now I've got to give you 50 milligrams of cortisone for two weeks, or you've got to go into hospital. I was hospitalised once for three days when I was in my early teens. And I was thinking about that and then thinking about these five points and thinking, you know, if I was to be consistent in my life, and if I was to encourage you to be consistent, that we've got to cry out to Jesus in our fears. That's number one. And we've got to cling to the Word of God. That's number two. And we've got to cast all of these things on God. And then we've got to confess that I am unable but he is able and if I was able and if you were able to do those four things number five having to necessarily go to a to counsel or a friend will not happen as much it does happen and I see the place for it and I've, I've reached out to it in my own life but if I was to really do that one to four as the preventative steps in my life the things I need to do to keep in line with the will of God for my life so that fear does not rule me, so that the future does not look as distraught as sometimes we make it out to be. As we're tied up in all our emotions of what might be, we're able to come back to the place where we say, Jesus is enough. And what Jesus has done for me on the cross is enough. It casts out all fear. It really puts it in perspective. And we begin to see that, that God can do a work when we have surrendered it over. We're going to sing this song. And I invite you to stand this morning and sing this. It's so praise the name. And if you've got a fear of something today, today, it's one of the things you'd write down on your bit of paper when you go home and when you do that exercise. And if you want to come and stand with me, because I have a fear. I have a fear and a couple of fears in my life. And I don't want them to start to define me or to threaten my future. I don't want them to be the things that will start to impact on the people around me irrationally. And so this song declares that we want to praise the name of Jesus and if you want to come forward and stand with me you don't have to tell anyone what that fear is there's no coercion but if that would help you to come and stand or kneel then please come as we see no praise